Chapter Fourteen of Ziska by Marie Corelli. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Read by Ilianthi. In a half reclining attitude of indolently graceful ease, the Princess Ziska watched from beneath the slumbrous shadow of her long fringed eyelids the approach of her now scarcely to be controlled lover. He came towards her with a certain impetuosity of movement which was so far removed from ordinary conventionality as to be wholly admirable from the purely picturesque point of view. Despite the fact that it expressed more passion and impatience than were in keeping with nineteenth-century customs and manners, he had almost reached her side before he became aware that there were two other women in the room besides the princess, silent, veiled figures that sat, or rather crouched, on the floor, holding quaintly carved and inlaid musical instruments of some antique date in their hands, the only sign of life about them being their large, dark, glistening, almond-shaped eyes, which were every now and then raised and fixed on Gervaise with an intense and searching look of inquiry. Strangely embarrassed by their glances, he addressed the princess in a low tone. "'Will you not send away your women?' she smiled. "'Yes, presently, if you wish it, I will. "'But you must hear some music first. "'Sit down there,' and she pointed with her small, jewelled hand "'to a low chair near her own. "'My lutist shall sing you something, in English, of course, "'for all the world is being anglicised by degrees, "'and there will soon be no separate nations left. "'Something, too, of romantic southern passion "'is being gradually grafted on to English sentiment.' so that English songs are not so stupid as they once were. I translated some stanzas from one of the Egyptian poets into English the other day. Perhaps you will like them. Mementus, sing us the song of darkness. An odd sensation of familiarity with the name of Mementus startled Gervaise as he heard it pronounced, and he looked at the girl who was so called in a kind of dread. But she did not meet his questioning regard, she was already bending over her lute and tuning its strings, while her companion likewise prepared to accompany her on a similar though larger instrument, and in another moment her voice full and rich, with a sobbing passion in it, which thrilled him to the inmost soul, rang out on the warm silence. In the darkness what deeds are done, what wild words spoken, what joys are tasted, what passion wasted, what hearts are broken, not a glimpse of the moon shall shine, not a star shall mark the passing of time, or shed its light on my dream of the dark, on the scented and slumbrous air. Strange thoughts are thronging, and a blind desire more fierce than fire fills the soul with longing. Through the silence heavy and sweet comes the panting breath of a lover unseen, from the might have been whose loving is death in the darkness a deed was done a wild word spoken a joy was tasted a passion wasted a heart was broken not a glimpse of the moon shall shine not a star shall mark the passing of night or shed its light on my dream of the dark the song died away in a shuddering echo and before Gervaise had time to raise his eyes from their brooding study of the floor, 
the singer and her companion had noiselessly disappeared and he was left alone with the princess ziska he drew a long breath and turning fully round in his chair looked at her steadily there was a faint smile on her lips a smile of mingled mockery and triumph her beautiful witch-like eyes glittered leaning towards her he grasped her hand suddenly in his own now he whispered shall i speak or be silent whichever you please she responded composedly still smiling speech or silence rest equally with yourself i compel neither that is false he said passionately you do compel your eyes drag my very soul out of me your touch drives me into frenzy you temptress you force me to speak though you know already what i have to say that i love you love you and that you love me that your whole life leaps to mine as mine to yours you know all this if i were stricken dumb you could read it in my face but you will have it spoken you will extort from me the whole secret of my madness yes for you to take a cruel joy in knowing that i am mad mad for the love of you and you cannot be too often or too thoroughly assured that your own passion finds its reflex in me he paused abruptly checked in his wild words by the sound of her low sweet chill laughter she withdrew her hands from his burning grasp my dear friend she said lightly you really have a very excellent opinion of yourself excuse me for saying so my own passion do you actually suppose i have a passion for you and rising from her chair she drew up her slim supple figure to its full height and looked at him with an amused and airy scorn you are totally mistaken no one man living can move me to love i know all men too well their natures are uniformly composed of the same mixture of cruelty lust and selfishness and for ever and for ever through all the ages of the world they use the greater part of their intellectual abilities in devising new ways to condone and conceal their vices you call me temptress why the temptation if any there be emanates from yourself and your own unbridled desires i do nothing i am made as i am made if my face or my form seems fair in your eyes this is not my fault your glance lights on me as the hawk's lights on coveted prey but think you the prey loves the hawk in response it is the mistake all men make with all women to judge them always as being of the same base material as themselves some women there are who shame their womanhood but the majority as a rule preserve their self-respect till taught by men to lose it gervaise sprang up and faced her his eyes flashing dangerously do not make any pretence with me he said half angrily never tell me you cannot love i have loved she interrupted him as true women love once and only once it suffices not for one lifetime but many i loved and gave myself ungrudgingly and trustingly to the man my soul worshipped i was betrayed of course it is the usual story quite old quite commonplace i can tell it to you without so much as a blush of pain since then i have not loved i have hated 
and I live but for one thing, revenge. Her face paled as she spoke, and a something vague, dark, spectral, and terrible seemed to enfold her like a cloud where she stood. Anon she smiled sweetly and with a bewitching provocativeness. Your passion, you see, my friend, awakens rather a singular reflex in me, not quite of the nature you imagined. He remained for a moment inert, then with an almost savage boldness threw his arms about her. Have everything your own way, Ziska, he said in quick, fierce accents. I will accept all your fancies and humour all your caprices. I will grant that you do not love me. I will even suppose that I am repellent to you, but that shall make no difference to my desire. You shall be mine, willing or unwilling. If every kiss I take from your lips be torn from you with reluctance, yet those kisses I will have. You shall not escape me. You, you out of all women in the world, I choose. As your wife, said Ziska slowly, her dark eyes gleaming with a strange light as she dexterously withdrew herself from his embrace. He uttered an impatient exclamation. My wife, je, what a banality! You with your exquisite glowing beauty and voluptuous charm, you would be a wife? That tiresome figurehead of utterly dull respectability, you with your unmatched air of wild grace and freedom, would submit to be tied down in the bonds of marriage, marriage which to my thinking, and that of many other men of my character, is one of the many curses of this idiotic nineteenth century. No, I offer you love, Ziska, ideal, passionate love, the glowing, rapturous dream of ecstasy in which such a thing as marriage would be impossible, the merest vulgar commonplace almost a profanity. I understand, and the Princess Ziska regarded him intently, her breath coming and going, and a strange smile quivering on her lips. He would play the part of an Araxes over again. He smiled, and with all the audacity of a bold and determined nature, put his arms round her, and drew her close up to his breast. Yes, he said, I would play the part of an Araxes over again. As he uttered the words, an indescribable sensation of horror seized him, a mist darkened his sight, his blood grew cold, and a tremor shook him from head to foot. The fair woman's face that was lifted close to his own seemed spectral and far off, and for a fleeting moment her very beauty grew into something like hideousness, as if the strange effect of the picture he had painted of her was now becoming actual and apparent, namely the face of death looking through the mask of life. Yet he did not loosen his arms from about her waist, on the contrary, he grasped her even more closely, and kept his eyes fixed upon her with such pertinacity that it seemed as if he expected her to vanish from his sight while he still held her. To play the part of an Araxes aright, she murmured then, in slow and dulcet accents, you would need to be cruel and remorseless and sacrifice my life, or any woman's life, to your own clamorous and selfish passion. But you, Armand Gervais, educated, civilised, intellectual, and totally unlike the barbaric Araxes, 
could not do that, could you? The progress of the world, the increasing intelligence of humanity, the coming of the Christ, these things are surely of some weight with you, are they not? Or are you made of the same savage and impenitent stuff as composed the once famous yet brutal warrior of old time? Do you admire the character and spirit of Araxes? He, who if history reports him truly, would snatch a woman's life as though it were a wayside flower, crush out all its sweetness and delicacy, and then fling it into the dust, withered and dead, do you think that because a man is strong and famous he has a right to the love of a woman? A charter to destroy her as he pleases. If you remember the story I told you, Araxes murdered with his own hand, Ziska Sharmazel, the woman who loved him. He had perhaps grown weary of her, said Gervaise, speaking with an effort, and still studying the exquisite loveliness of the bewitching face that was so close to his own like a man in a dream. At this she laughed and laid her two hands on his shoulders with a close and clinging clasp which thrilled him strangely. Ah, there is the difficulty, she said. What cure shall ever be found for love weariness? Men are like children, they tire of their toys, hence the frequent trouble and discomfort of marriage. They grow weary of the same face, the same caressing arms, the same faithful heart. You, for instance, would grow weary of me. I think not, answered Gervaise, and now the vague sense of uncertainty and pain which had distressed him passed away, leaving him fully self-possessed once more. I think you are one of those exceptional women whom a man never grows weary of, like a Cleopatra or any other old-world enchantress, you fascinate with a look, you fasten with a touch, and you have a singular freshness and wild attraction about you which makes you unlike any other of your sex. I know well enough that I shall never get the memory of you out of my brain. Your face will haunt me till I die. And after death, she queried, half closing her eyes and regarding him languorously through her silky black lashes. Ah, my belle, after that there is nothing to be done, even in the way of love. To a fini, considering the brevity of life and the absolute certainty of death, I think that the men and women who are so foolish as to miss any opportunities of enjoyment while they are alive deserve more punishment than those who take all they can get, even in the line of what is called wickedness. Wickedness is a curious thing. It takes different shapes in different lands, and what is called wicked here is virtue in, let us say, the Fiji Islands. There is really no strict rule of conduct in the world, no fixed law of morality. There is honour, said the princess slowly, a code which even savages recognise. He was silent. For a moment he seemed to hesitate, but his indecision soon passed. His face flushed, and anon grew pale, as closing his arms more victoriously round the fair woman who just then appeared voluntarily to yield to his embrace, he bent down and whispered a few words in the tiny ear, white and delicate as a shell, which was half hidden by the rich loose clusters of her luxuriant hair. She heard and smiled, and her eyes flashed with a singular ferocity, 
which he did not see, otherwise it might have startled him. "'I will answer you to-morrow,' she said. "'Be patient till then.' And as she spoke, she released herself determinedly from the clasp of his arms, and withdrew to a little distance, looking at him with a fixed and searching scrutiny. "'Do not preach patience to me,' he exclaimed with a laugh. "'I never had that virtue, and I certainly cannot begin to cultivate it now.' "'Had you ever any virtues?' she asked, in a playful tone of something like satire. He shrugged his shoulders. "'I do not know what you consider virtues,' he answered lightly. "'If honesty is one, I have that. I make no pretense to be what I am not. I would not pass off somebody else's picture as my own, for instance. But I cannot sham to be moral. I could not possibly love a woman without wanting her all to myself.' and I have not the slightest belief in the sanctimonious humbug of a man who plays the platonic lover only. But I don't cheat, and I don't lie. I am what I am. A man, said Ziska, a lurid and vindictive light dilating and firing her wonderful eyes. A man, the essence of all that is evil, the possibility of all that is good. But the essence is strong and works, the possibility is a dream which dissolves in the dreaming. Yes, you are right, ma chère, he responded carelessly. Goodness, as the world understands goodness, never makes a career for itself worth anything. Even Christ, who has figured as a symbol of goodness for eighteen hundred years, was not devoid of the sin of ambition. He wanted to reign over all Judea. "'You view him in that light?' inquired Ziska, with a keen look. "'And as a man only? "'Why, of course, the idea of an incarnate God "'has long ago been discarded by all reasoning thinkers.' "'And what of an incarnate devil?' pursued Ziska, "'her breath coming and going quickly. "'As impossible as the other fancy,' he responded almost gaily. "'There are no gods and no devils, ma belle, the world is ruled by ourselves alone, and it behoves us to make the best of it. How will you give me my answer to-morrow? When shall I see you? Speak low and quickly. Dr. Dean is coming in here from the garden. When? When? I will send for you, she answered. At what hour? The moon rises at ten, and at ten my messenger shall come for you. A trustworthy messenger, I hope, one who knows how to be silent. "'As silent as the grave,' she said, looking at him fixedly, "'as secret as the great pyramid and the hidden tomb of Araxes.' "'And smiling, she turned to greet Dr. Dean, "'who just then entered the saloon. "'Denzil has gone to bed,' he announced. "'He begged me to excuse him to you, Princess. "'I think the boy is feverish. "'Egypt doesn't agree with him.' "'I am sorry he is ill,' said the Princess, "'with a charming air of sympathy.' "'Oh, he isn't exactly ill,' returned the doctor, looking sharply at her beautiful face as he spoke. "'He is simply unnerved and restless. I am a little anxious about him. I think he ought to go back to England or Scotland.' "'I think so, too,' agreed Gervaise, and Mademoiselle Helene with him. "'Mademoiselle Helen, you consider very beautiful,' murmured the princess, unfurling her fan and waving it indolently to and fro." "'No, not beautiful,' answered the doctor quickly, "'but very pretty, sweet, and lovable, and good.' 
"'Ah, then of course someone will break her heart,' said the princess calmly. "'That is what always happens to good women.' And she smiled as she saw Gervaise flush, half with anger, half with shame. The little doctor rubbed his nose crossly. "'Not always, princess,' he said. "'Sometimes it does, in fact pretty often. It is an unfortunate truth that virtue is seldom rewarded in this world. Virtue in a woman nowadays.' "'Means no lovers and no fun,' said Gervaise gaily, "'and the possibility of a highly decorous marriage "'with a curate or a bank clerk, "'followed by the pleasing result of a family of little curates "'or little bank clerks. "'It is not a dazzling prospect.' "'The doctor smiled grimly, "'then after a wavering moment of indecision "'broke out into a chuckling laugh. "'You have an odd way of putting things,' he said, but I am afraid you may be right in your estimate of the position. Quite as many women are as miserably sacrificed on the altar of virtue as of vice. It is a mad world, as Shakespeare says. I hope the next life we pass into after this one will at least be sane. Well, if you believe in heaven, you have testament authority for the fact that there will be neither marriage nor giving in marriage. There, at any rate, laughed Gervaise. And if we wish to follow that text out truly in our present state of existence and become as the angels of God, we ought at once to abolish matrimony. Have done, have done, exclaimed the doctor, still smiling, however notwithstanding his protest. You southern Frenchmen are half barbarians. You have neither religion nor morality. Dieu merci, said Gervaise irreverently, then turning to the Princess Ziska, he bowed low, and with a courtly grace over the hand she extended towards him in farewell. "'Good night, the Princess,' then in a whisper he added, "'Tomorrow I shall await your summons.' "'It will come without fail, never fear,' she answered, in equally soft tones. "'I hope it may find you ready.' He raised his eyes, and gave her one long, lingering, passionate look, then with another, "'Good night,' which included Dr. Dean, left the room. The doctor lingered a moment, studying the face and form of the princess with a curiously inquisitive air, while she, in her turn, confronted him haughtily, and with a touch of defiance in her aspect. "'Well,' said the savant presently, after a pause, "'now you have got him. What are you going to do with him?' She smiled coldly, but answered nothing. "'You need not flash your beautiful eyes at me "'in that eminently unpleasant fashion,' "'pursued the doctor easily. "'You see, I know you, and I am not afraid of you. "'I only make a stand against you in one respect. "'You shall not kill the boy Denzil.' "'He is nothing to me,' she said, with a gesture of contempt. "'I know he is nothing to you, but you are something to him. "'He does not recognise your nature, as I do.' I must get him out of the reach of your spell. You need not trouble yourself, she interrupted him, a sombre melancholy darkening her face. I shall be gone tomorrow. Gone altogether? inquired the doctor calmly, and without surprise. Not to come back? Not in this present generation, she answered. Still, Dr. Dean evinced no surprise. Then you will have satisfied yourself, he asked. She bent her head. For the time being, yes, I shall have satisfied myself. 
There followed a silence during which the little doctor looked at his beautiful companion with all the meditative interest of a scientist engaged in working out some intricate and deeply interesting problem. "'I suppose I may not inquire how you propose to obtain this satisfaction,' he said. "'You may inquire, but you will not be answered,' she retorted, smiling darkly. "'Your intentions are pitiless.' still smiling she said not a word you are impenitent she remained silent and worst of all you do not desire redemption you are one of those who for ever and ever cry evil be thy good thus for you christ died in vain a faint tremor ran through her but she was still mute so you and creatures like you must have their way in the world until the end concluded the doctor thoughtfully, and if all the philosophers that ever lived were to pronounce you what you are, they would be disbelieved and condemned as madmen. Well, princess, I am glad I have never at any time crossed your path till now, or given you cause of offence against me. We part friends, I trust. Good night. Farewell. She held out her hand. He hesitated before taking it. "'Are you afraid?' she queried coldly. "'It will not harm you.' "'I am afraid of nothing,' he said, at once clasping the white taper fingers in his own, "'except a bad conscience. "'That will never trouble you.' And the princess looked at him full and steadily. "'There are no dark corners in your life, no mean side-alleys and trap-holes of deceit. "'You have walked on the open and straight road. "'You are a good man and a wise one.' but though you in your knowledge of spiritual things recognize me for what i am take my advice and be silent on the matter the world would never believe the truth even if you told it for the time is not yet ripe for men and women to recognize the avengers of their wicked deeds they are kept purposely in the dark lest the light should kill and with her sombre eyes darkening yet glowing with the inward fire that always smouldered in their dazzling depths, she saluted him gravely and gracefully, watching him to the last as he slowly withdrew. End of chapter 14